Hey friend, are you struggling to find consistent paid speaking gigs? Do you want to know the exact six steps that you can take to find and book more paid speaking opportunities in 2024? Well, we want to make that easy for you. We've created a new free resource with the help of Dan Irvin, one of our highly successful speakers on our team. Dan has booked over $100,000 in paid speaking gigs in the last few years, and his six-step process is going to help you maximize your chances of getting booked and paid to speak in any industry. You're going to learn how to get started prospecting, master discovery calls, and proposal emails and so much more. All you got to do is go to thespeakerlab.com slash steps and we're going to send you this 18-page guide straight to your inbox. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash steps and you're going to get that free guide. Hey, thanks for listening. You're awesome. Hey, what's up, friends? Grant Bolton here. Welcome back to the Speaker Lab podcast. Glad that you're here. Glad that you're joining us. Hope you're having a great day. Whether you're a brand new speaker who is just getting started or you are a speaker who's been at this for a long time, you've been in the game for a while, and you're just trying to figure out how you can continue to increase your impact and your income, make a bigger difference and a dent in the world. So before we get to today's guest, let me remind you, if you are interested in working with us, the team at the Speaker Lab, myself included, in helping you build and grow your speaking business and helping you create a repeatable system to find and book paid speaking gigs, we would love to talk to you. We have the Speaker Lab program called booked and paid to speak elite, where we work hand in hand with you, helping you build and grow your speaking business. So if you are interested in learning more about that and applying to be a part of that program, then we'd love for you to stop by and check out thespeakerlab.com slash apply. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash apply. Now, let's get to today's guest. Today, we're going to be talking with Michael Hyatt, who is a very successful speaker, author, entrepreneur, and uh, as I mentioned at the very end of our conversation, an all-around amazing husband and father, just a great, great guy that I really look up to and admire and respect. So I uh, appreciate him taking a couple minutes to chat with us today. So we have a really wide-ranging conversation. So Michael has, has done a lot of speaking. He's done very little speaking and then does kind of a different form of speaking today. And so we, we talk about what his evolution of his speaking journey has been. We also talk about for a speaker who's getting started who's just who's doing a lot and busy and they're working a full-time job, how do you balance all of that? So we cover that, we dig into that as well. And then also we spend some time talking about Michael's new book, Free to Focus, which I highly recommend that you check out. It's available in bookstores everywhere. Make sure that you go snag that. But we talk about a couple different parts of the book as it relates to you as a speaker, talking about something called the freedom compass and understanding the difference between what you're good at, what that desire zone is versus what that drudgery zone is and how to make sure that you are aligning yourself as best as possible as a speaker. Now, we also spend some time talking about the the weekly and daily three of making sure that you know which things that you should be focusing on. So lots to cover, lots to get to. Let's get right into this conversation with Michael Hyatt. Enjoy. Hey friends, Grant Baldwin here. Welcome back to the Speaker Lab podcast. Today we are joined by Michael Hyatt, who is the CEO of Michael Hyatt and Company, who's a successful speaker, author, entrepreneur, all around great, great guy. So uh, Michael, thanks so much for uh, taking a few minutes to chat with us today. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Grant. Appreciate this it. Be, this will be fun. So I wanted to talk, start by talking about your speaking journey. You are someone who, before your current role, you were the CEO of Thomas Nelson. You did that for many, many years, were extremely successful in that world in the publishing space, and then transitioned to kind of your personal brand. And for a long time, you did a lot of speaking engagements. And so, and then I think you went the complete opposite direction, did hardly any speaking engagements. And now you've kind of landed somewhere in the middle where it sounds like you do a decent number of speaking gigs, but they're primarily at your own event. So can we kind of talk through that evolution? What did that look like at the beginning of what you were doing with, with how speaking fit into your business? Yeah, well, I've, I've been speaking for several decades. 
And mostly it was an avocation. I never tried to make a living at it. You know, I would just speak at industry events back when I was in the publishing world, or maybe a friend would ask me to speak at something, but it was never anything official. I taught a Sunday school class, you know, it was that kind of thing. Right. But then when I, when we sold Thomas Nelson to HarperCollins Publishing in 2011, I thought it's now or never. And I'd always had this dream of being a speaker and being a full-time writer. And so I used that to just take a big jump in the pool and, and see if I could do it. Yeah. And so I was speaking in 2011, 2012, really into 2013, about 65 times a year. And I loved, love, love speaking. So I love being on stage. I love being in front of an audience. And you and I were kind of talking about this. You know, it's, it's a lot of work, though, to get to that 45-minute opportunity on stage. Right. The thing I didn't love was being away from my family. So I've been married for 41 years. I have nine grandkids. They all live within about five miles of me. And so the thought of being out on the road that much, it just got really old really fast. Yeah. So I said to my team at the time, very small team at the time, I said, look, I don't want to do this long term. You know, I, I thought I did, but I want to transition out of this. So we got to come up with something else. So we did. That's when we launched Platform University and some other online courses. And that quickly replaced the income. It took me about 18 months to replace the income from those speaking engagements. But then I decided, you know, there's online courses are great, but there's something happens, you know, something happens in the magic of speaking to people. Right. You know, I, I can think back on my own life and the times when I've been really challenged or inspired or provoked to change. It's usually been either a book I read or a speaking event that I attended. And so I wanted to get more into speaking. Long story short, now I do about 45 to 50 events a year, but they're all in Nashville and they're all with my clients or my customers. So I have a coaching program that's pretty big, has about 400 people in it. And then in addition to that, we host a variety of events here. Then I try to do about five outside engagements that get me on the stage in front of audiences that, I, that otherwise wouldn't know me. Right. That's kind of the strategy. Yeah, I'd like to dig into a couple of pieces there. Let's go back to whenever you were at Thomas Nelson, you sell to HarperCollins, and you have that moment of like, I, I like speaking, I enjoy speaking, I'd love to do more of it. This is kind of a, an opportunity where I don't want to miss the boat, and I'd like to give this a shot rather than looking back and wondering, you know, if, if I had exactly. what, it, what it took. And I think there's a lot of people who are in a similar spot of like, I like speaking, speaking's fun, I feel like I can make a go at this, but I'm not sure if I have what it takes, I'm not sure if, if I want to sign up for the lifestyle of being being gone that much. I have financial obligations. I have family obligations. I have a lot of overhead or just life commitment and things that I need to keep up with. So what made you decide like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to give this a shot. Let's jump in and, and see what happens. Well, a couple things had happened that led up to that. First, I started blogging in 2004. And by 2011, that blog was pretty stinking successful. Yeah, I was having only over 100 unique visitors a month. My mailing list was pretty big, about maybe 25,000 at the time, which is kind of funny looking back on it. I, I don't think I'd advise anybody with a list that size to make the jump without something else in place. But anyway, I didn't know any better, so I did. But the blog had created a body of content that had created demand in the marketplace. Right. And then right after I left Thomas Nelson, I wrote my book, Platform, Get Noticed in a Noisy World, and that became a New York Times bestseller. So that also helped with demand. But I was speaking for about a year before that book ever came out. And I know you talk a lot about this. It's not necessary to have a best-selling book, right. but it doesn't hurt either. You know, it, 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 it helps. 
My yeah. fees went up, the demand went up. It was all good. But I like that, that you also pointed out though, that it wasn't like, you know, 2011 on a Friday, you're like, ah, let's give this thing a shot. And I'm, I'm out right. on this CEO gig and Monday morning, I'm going all in on speaking. But really it was several years work behind the scenes of building something else on the side while making that, while slowly making that transition. So I want to come back to that in a second. So, so you're speaking full-time for a couple of years, doing around 65 gigs a year, which is, is no small feat. And again, like we were kind of talking about, that's a, that's a lot of travel. So 65 gigs equates to oftentimes, you know, 80, 90, up to a hundred nights that you're away. So that's a right. good chunk of the year. So then why did you decide to go back the other direction? So you, you like speaking. Speaking is a lot of fun. You can make that personal connection with people in a speaking environment that you just can't make through an email or through a blog post or through a podcast. So why did you decide to completely go the other direction and more or less get out of it at the time? What did I get out of it in 2011? Right. It, well, it was so... Get out of speaking. And what would that have been, 2013 or so? Yeah, 2013 or so. Yeah, I, I would say it was primarily the travel. Here's the other thing I didn't like either. You know, it's kind of the dirty little secret. When you're hired to speak for another audience, it's almost like you're a mercenary. Yeah. You know, you're being hired, you're coming in to say something that maybe they, they needs to be said, that management or leadership doesn't know how to say or doesn't want to say. But here's the thing I hated. Then I leave. You know, it's like I parachute in, yeah. give my speech, and I leave. And the thing that gets me up in the morning, the thing that gets me really excited about speaking is witnessing the transformation. And generally that doesn't even happen in one session. Right. It happens over multiple sessions. So one of the things I love about my coaching business now where I'm speaking for a full day and I'll do that every day for eight days in a row. And so it's a different group every day. So we have cohorts where we do that of, of 50 in a cohort. So I'll do that every day for eight days. But the thing I do is I see those people, those same people every quarter right. over the course of a year. So, and we have a curriculum model. We've got about a three-year curriculum model. And so I get to witness, and it's such a privilege and an honor, but to witness people experiencing transformation and seeing real business results. In fact, in our coaching program, just to give you an example and how important it is to track this stuff for us, our typical client grows their revenue 67% in the first 12 months of being part of our program. Wow. And equally important, they shave 11 hours off their work week. So they got more time for the priorities that matter to them outside of work. Right. Interesting. So then you start to make the transition from, okay, I'm not doing any gigs at all to, okay, maybe I, I miss speaking. I just got to figure out how to do this in a way that makes sense. And I think even to, you know, your previous point there that one of the nice things about speaking is there's not necessarily a, a one size fits all of you have to do it this way. You have to do like some people listening right now are, are thinking, I love the idea of parachuting out speaking and getting out yeah. of there and having zero other responsibilities of the follow through. Right. And some people are like, I don't like that. I'd rather, rather than speaking to, you know, a couple thousand people in a keynote, I'd much rather work with 50 people intimately for several days. And that's much more appealing. So there's not necessarily a, a right or wrong. It's just a matter of right. makes sense to you. So you, you have done both ends of the spectrum and, and multiple types or styles of speaking. How did you ultimately land on, this is what makes sense for me and my business and what it is that I want to accomplish. Yeah, I think it was getting really clear on my mission, which didn't happen all at once for sure. Yeah. But basically, my mission in life is to help people succeed at work and win at life. It's a tagline of my podcast. But I, I think that our culture advocates this idea that I call the hustle fallacy. And that is, if you really want to succeed big time, you've got to put in the time. You, in order to get more done, you got to do more. And so people are working 60, 70, 80 hours a week 
And one of the things I talk about in my new book, Free to Focus, is just the folly of that, why it doesn't work. But I've seen people, unfortunately, sacrifice their health, sacrifice their marriage or their relationship with their kids or friendships or any of that just to go all in and be part of that hustle fallacy to try to win at work. Then I've seen, and particularly in the faith community, people kind of put the ambition break on and say, whoa, I better throttle my ambition. I don't want to lose my family. I don't want to lose my health. I want to keep that center place. So I'm going to throttle back my ambition. I'm after the double win. I want both those things. And yeah. I think it's absolutely possible. And so for like last year, just example, my business grew 62% last year, 2018 over 2017, but I took 160 days off work. And I'm talking about the kind of vacations, the kind of sabbaticals, the kind of time when I'm not thinking about work, talking about work, reading about work, or doing any work. So that's what gets me really passionate about being engaged with people and speaking. And it usually starts with speaker or it starts with a book, but giving people a vision for that double win. And I think people crave it. They're just not sure it's possible. So ultimately, you decided that the best way to facilitate that for others is to host your own events. But obviously, there's a yep. whole new set of challenges that go along with that versus you fly in and you speak and you go home. And if something goes wrong with the AV or uh, the room is not set up right or something happens in that type of context, it's not entirely your responsibility. You're just there to be the mercenary, to show up, do your thing and then leave. But whenever you're putting on your own event, again, that's a, that's a whole nother beast. So why did you ultimately decide that that was the best course of action for, for you and your business? Okay, this is really important when you talked about the AV. Mm -hmm. One of the problems when you go out to speak is you're not in control of the total experience. You're one component right. in the experience. So I don't ever think of the speaker audience any action as sort of a singular component, you know, me speaking. I'm entertaining them, I'm teaching them, whatever. The thing I love about hosting my own events is that I get to control the entire experience. Right. You know, I've got a killer production company that makes sure that I've got the best sound, I've got light on my face, you know, so I'm not standing in the dark. I mean, how many times have I done that? I absolutely know that when my laptop's hooked up to the equipment, there's always that saying when I was traveling, like, even though you try to, you know, cover that in a, in a conversation in advance with the event planner, right. never quite sure until you get, you know, <laughs> on site that you're going to plug it in and it's all going right. to work. Right. You know, I don't have to worry about having some crummy portable screen behind me. I'm in charge of everything from the yeah. amount of breaks I give people to the kind of food they're eating when they're with me to how my people greet them when they walk in. All of that makes for the experience. And I think that when people walk away, I want them to have that total experience, not just me as a speaker, obviously it's an important component, but it's everything else too, including their interactions with each other. And I think that's a great point for those who are listening, who they do more of the, the keynote side of things and they are more of the mercenary, like you described, that whenever you come in and speak, that you are one of hundreds, if not thousands of moving pieces that an event planner is working on or considering or balls that they're juggling. So the easier that you can make life for them, the more likely they're going to want to be to work with you, to recommend totally. you, to refer you for future events. So I want to go back to the uh, beginning. One of the things that you touched on was, okay, you're in the CEO role. You are building up this personal brand 
and eventually you decide to make the leap and go all in on speaking. I hear from a lot of speakers who are in a similar spot of, Grant, I'm interested in speaking. I love speaking. Speaking is something I'm passionate about. I want to do more of it. I'm building this thing up, whether that be in the, you know, in the form of I have a blog or a podcast or I'm just building my personal brand. And so I'm doing this, which takes a lot of time, but at the same time, I have to work. I, I'm still trying to provide for my family to be able to eat and live indoors. And so I have this like nine to five day job while still trying to chase the dream job and the, you know, and the, the gaps as much as possible. So how did you balance that then? Or how would you recommend that, that a speaker, an entrepreneur who's chasing the dream, that they would balance that today? Yeah, well, one of the things I really believe in is the power of constraints. You know, and I'll give you an example and then I'll come back and apply it to your question. So you know how amazingly productive you are on the Friday before you leave for vacation? Sure. Right? You know, because you have this constraint because you're either going to get on the airplane or you're going to get in your car and you're going to leave and, and you don't want to be bothered with work. So you're trying to get it all done on that last Friday. So you're amazingly productive. You don't have time to check social media. You don't have time to get distracted by frivolous things. You stay focused on the only stuff that matters and that's the stuff you get done before you get out of town. Well, the same thing happens, I think, if you're trying to build a platform or to do a side hustle. And so for me, what I did was I decided that for a period of time, every Saturday morning, and I, and I really saw it as an avocation. It wasn't my full-time gig. You know, I had a good gig that provided for me, but it was my part-time gig. But I was going to schedule on Saturday morning from 8 to 11. So I only did it three hours. But during that time, I would write three blog posts. Now, here's the cool thing. I've always seen blogging and podcasting as kind of a content workbench. So in other words, it's the place where I, I go out to the shop and I try new ideas and I see what works. So I get almost instant feedback right. on those ideas. You know, some blog posts that I, I didn't think would connect, blow up and go crazy. Blog posts that I, I really polish and work hard on that I think are gonna, gonna kill it. You know, it's crickets. Nobody right. pays attention to them. Well, that gives me an automatic a venue, a low-risk venue for testing ideas and seeing what resonates the most. So it was easy to move from that to uh, really focus on a, a speaking career because I knew the content that people were resonating with. But again, I, got, I think it goes back to scheduling in terms of making sure that that side hustle doesn't overwhelm your life. And so you've got time for other things. And for me, the best way to do that, and I, and I teach this in my book too, is the idea of just you know, scheduling. What, what gets done is what gets scheduled. Right. So how much of that is also just making that mental shift of recognizing and realizing for a season here, there's going to be some overlap between where I am and where I want to go. And so naturally, I'm just going to be busier. So it's, yep. I, I can't stop this one thing because I'm still trying to build the flywheel and the momentum of the new thing. Is there a way that we can, I don't know, just mentally or emotionally start to balance that and recognize that, that it's just, it's just a season, but it is what it is. But at the same time, also helping you know, our loved ones, our kids, our spouses to know that, hey, this isn't the way it always is. But while mom or dad or whoever's chasing this dream, it's going to be a little hectic for a minute. Yep. And it is. And I think, first of all, you got to be realistic about that. Because I, one danger I see, particularly for a lot of young people that are aspiring to this, they convince themselves that their situation is only temporary. But they go from one temporary season to another temporary season to another temporary season. And before long, they've got a permanent case of busyness and overwhelm. So you've got to be realistic about that. Is this really a season or has this become a lifestyle? Hmm. Second thing is, I think you've got to negotiate it, especially if you're married with your spouse, so that your spouse doesn't, you know, begrudge the fact that you're doing this second thing. But the, so this kind of becomes a family project that we're all right. in on this for a purpose and for a future that we're trying to create. 
So the more vested they can be in that future, the more they can see that future, the more they can participate in it, the better off you'll be. So I've, you know, I've always, when I would speak, you know, take my kids or take Gail with me, my wife. And first of all, I mean, you know how draining it is out on the road. Having my spouse with me on the road was huge. And so we got to the point where I would, when I was speaking 65 times a year, that we always had the event planner pay for me and one other person. So it was either my road manager or as my wife, but to have somebody else on the road was, was hugely helpful. Yeah, definitely. Uh, when people ask, oh, you got to go to such and such city. Did you go to this museum or go to this yeah. stadium or go to this? I, you go from the airport to the hotel, back to the airport and you fly home. And that's pretty much the extent of it, which again, kind of goes back to that non-glamorous, non-sexy part. Yeah. I remember speaking in Miami one time and I'd never been to Miami. I was so excited about it. And I was like on the 32nd floor in this ballroom speaking. It was windows behind me. I could see the ocean yeah. all behind me. I mean, honestly, that could have been digitally created because right. I never left the hotel right. except for the ride to get from the airport to the hotel and then back to the airport. Yeah, indeed. All right. I want to shift gears. Now let's talk about the, the new book, Free to Focus. So okay. let's start by talking about uh, the Freedom Compass. This is something that uh, I thought um, was explained really, really well. Can you start by just kind of give us an overview of what the Freedom Compass is? Yeah. So one of the big challenges that we have, all of us, is that there's more to do than we've got time to do it. Mm-hmm. And the secret to getting more done or getting the right stuff done is to really kind of follow your natural pathway to success. And it's different for everybody. So I came up with this concept, this visual model called the Freedom Compass. And basically, if you think of a traditional compass that has north, south, east, and west, north is basically where your passion and your proficiency come together. That's the things you love to do, the things you're really good at. That's what I call your desire zone. That's the things that you need to be spending more time doing. If you do more in your desire zone, those are the high leverage things that move the needle in your business, that really cause your career to advance, cause your business to grow. Directly south, in other words, the opposite of the desire zone is the drudgery zone where you have neither passion nor proficiency. You don't like doing these kind of things. You're not very good at them. And they're just a grind to have to do them. Now, the good news is that we all have different things in our desire zone, different things in our drudgery zone. So for example, in my drudgery zone would be managing my email inbox, managing my calendar, booking travel, filing expense reports, doing basically anything administrative. Fortunately, my executive assistant, Jim, those things, all those things are in Jim's desire zone. So we are the exact match for how to be proficient as a team. Now, to the east is what I call the disinterest zone. This is where people get bored. They don't have any passion, but they're good at it. So this is why people stay in jobs longer than they should. You know, I, I, I for example, I'm, I'm really good at accounting. I just don't enjoy it. You know, it, it, it really bores me. I don't have any training in it, but I got really good at it at Thomas Nelson because as a CEO, so much of my job is relating to the financial and investment community. But it's my disinterest zone. And sometimes you have to do that stuff because it's what's bringing in, you know, the, the bacon, right. but it's, it'll kill you. It's soul crushing work and it'll kill you. And it's not the highest and best use of you. Now, due west is another problem. This is called the distraction zone. And this is where you've got passion. You enjoy doing it, but you're not very good at it. So for me, for example, I enjoy doing graphic design and web development, really? but it's a place that I typically go to escape And it keeps me from doing the high leverage work that, again, really moves the needle. So web development was, for me, something, it was easier than creating content. It was easier easier than presenting content. 
but I wasn't very good at it. In fact, I brought my website down numerous times. When I hired my first web developer, he came, he accepted the job on the condition that I would never, ever <laughs> tweak the back end of WordPress again. We're taking your login away. <laughs> <laughs> the secret, again, to being really highly productive is to really focus on that desire zone. And when you do that, you'll find that you can eliminate, automate, or delegate all that other stuff that's outside of your desire zone, particularly as you build your team, and then you get increasingly focused on the stuff that only you do well and that you do the best, and that's when you see your business explode, and that's the best way to scale. Now, for someone who's listening, who's playing devil's advocate and going, okay, it, it sounds great, I get it, I resonate with it, it clicks, but there's, of, of the parts that I'm looking at that I enjoy, the desire zone, you know, so one of the things I've noticed is a lot of speakers, they love the speaking part of it. They love being on stage, they love creating the content, they love working on the talk and, and putting, bringing it all together in front of a live audience. What they oftentimes struggle on is the business side of it, is if you're a phenomenal speaker, but you don't know how to find and book gigs, it's really, really difficult to build a successful business. It reminds me of uh, uh, what Michael Gerber talks about in E-Myth, is there's a big difference in the skill set between being a really good baker and running a bakery. Those are two yep. totally different things. There's a lot of hats that you have to wear as a speaker, as an entrepreneur in general of just because you're a good speaker doesn't necessarily mean that you are good at finding and booking gigs. So for a speaker who's going, okay, the desire zone is wearing that hat. I'm all about, I'm really, really good on that point. It makes sense. But there's other parts of the business that have to get done in order for the business to be yes. successful. That I just don't enjoy doing or I'm not good at or I'm okay at, but I don't enjoy, or it could be any number of things, but they have to get done. Maybe I, I, I can't afford someone or I feel like I'm all alone. So as you're getting the momentum going of your you know, speaking business or whatever business that may be, how do you balance the I'd love to spend all my time in my desire zone, but I just can't. We have to remember that the compass is a mechanism, a tool for getting you to your destination. And it's a reminder that it's a journey. It's not going to happen all at once, but you better know where true north is when you begin. Otherwise, you're not going to know as you begin to scale and as you begin to be successful. It's like, okay, so what am I going to hire first? We're well, going to hire first the things that get you out of your drudgery zone as much as much as possible. Then out of your distraction zone and your disinterest zone, I've got a whole matrix for, for how to do this. But one of the things that I, I've seen this with entrepreneurs a lot, where they have this kind of false economy, they think, oh my gosh, I can't afford to, to, to have somebody do it. And I'll give you a perfect example. I had a guy in my coaching program who had a speaking business, an online course business, very similar to mine, but he was doing his own web development. And he was pretty good at it. You know, he could program in PHP and all this, you know, stuff. And so I said to him, I said, what would it cost you? Oh, actually, the first thing I said was, how much do you make an hour? I mean, like if you took your annual income, divided it by 2080, which is basically the number of hours you'd have in a 40-hour work week times 50 weeks, so 52 weeks, I said, what would your hourly rate be? And he said, well, probably about $150, $160 right now. I said, okay, what would it cost you to hire a WordPress developer? And he said, about $50 an hour. I said, well, by your own admission, you're not that great. Why are you paying $150 to $160 an hour for a not very good WordPress developer? Right. And so he suddenly got it. And, and the thing that happened for me is that once I got free, and this is an important point, once I got free from those low leverage things like invoicing and booking my travel or the examples you gave of booking speaking engagements, which obviously that's revenue producing activity. Somebody has to do that, Right. right? But once I got free from especially those administrative things, it enabled me, made me freer to produce more content and do those things that produce the revenue. 
Right. So that's what you're, you're, you're freeing yourself up to do the higher leverage things where you, for where, where you can command a higher hourly rate or a higher fee than, than what you could pay somebody to do it. Yeah. That's the way I look of, at it. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Let's talk about another concept within the book that I think will be really helpful for speakers, which is the, the weekly and daily three. So for a speaker who, again, who's getting going and they're trying to build some momentum, there's a million things that we could work on. I need to work right. on my website or I need to work on my talk or I need to reach out to that client or I need to whatever it may be. And like the list never, you, you never finish, right? Yes. You never, never get to the list. So there's always more to be done and less time to get it done. So how is a speaker looking at, at all that has to get done? How do we best prioritize what needs to happen? I know you teach that a lot with, uh, within the weekly three and the daily three. So what does that look like for you? Yeah. So the idea is that not all tasks, not all appointments, not all activities are created equal. Right. Some have the potential to return an exponential return. And some are just, you know, you're basically treading water. You're making no advance on the business. So we surveyed our clients a couple of years ago when I was in the beginning stages of writing Free to Focus. And we found that the average person has 15 tasks on their task list every day, on average, 15. Now, here's what that person's life looks like. Some people have 20, obviously, some people have seven, but on average, 15. So the average person gets up before they even begin. They're overwhelmed because they know there's not a chance that they're gonna get all 15 of those things done. So they're playing a game that they're going to lose. That is not very encouraging. Nobody wants to play a game they're gonna lose. Yeah. Worse, even if they get eight or nine of those done, they go to bed with you know six, seven, eight of those undone, and they feel like a loser at the end of the day. So they bookend their day with two bad emotional experiences. You know, overwhelm on the one hand and discouragement on the other. So if you take the Pareto principle, which teaches that 80% of the results come from 20% of the effort, then if you take 15 average tasks, what that boils down to is about three of those tasks on your list are really high leverage. Yeah. Three of those tasks really matter. They're related to your goals. They're important, not merely urgent, and they will advance your business if you focus on those. So what I teach people in the book, and also in my Full Focus Planner, I've got a place to, to write this, which is my physical planner product, is what are your daily big three? What are the three things you're going to do today, no matter what, and if you get those done, you're going to feel like you won the game. Yeah. Now, it doesn't mean that you can't have other lower leverage activities, and I typically have, like today, I have one of the things, I have my big three, that I've got one of the things I've got to do today, or I'd like to get done today. If I don't get it done, you know, nobody's going to die. Nothing bad's going to happen. It just means I'm going to push it till tomorrow. That is a simple, but profound game changing idea. And my clients report that when they do that, when they focus on that three, they, it builds their confidence. They get a sense of momentum and they feel like they're getting the important stuff done suddenly instead of just swimming in a sea of tasks that they never advance again against. Same thing is uh, true on the week. So one of the things I also teach in the book is the idea of a weekly preview where I do mine on Sunday night, but I, I kind of review what happened in the previous week. And then I set myself up for success this next week. And just like the day, there's probably about three things this next week, the big ideas, the big priorities, the things, the outcomes that I really want to pursue. Yeah. So I identify those at the beginning of the week, and then I pursue them relentlessly through the week. And oftentimes, my daily big three will relate to one of those big three for the week. So you do that, of course, absolutely. And so you do that on a daily and a weekly basis on the, on the micro level. Do you zoom out at all for what was the monthly, quarterly, even annually look like? Yeah. So I teach also, we, we call this the three by three matrix, but uh, basically it's three goals per quarter, three outcomes per week, 
three tasks per day. So it's three by three by three. Now on an annual basis, I wrote my book, Your Best Year Ever, talking about annual goals. And what I teach based on the goal achievement research out there is that you need about seven to 10 goals for the year, but no more than two to three per quarter. And here's why, because people get jazzed up about goal setting or a new career or speaking more or whatever it is. But so much of our resources, time, energy, focus is consumed with just maintaining kind of the whirlwind of what is. And so by definition, a goal is going to be outside of that whirlwind. And by the way, if you've read the four disciplines of execution, I'm, I'm using the language from that. The whirlwind is the business as usual, the stuff you're doing to keep your current state of affairs going. Yep. And so much is consumed there that you've got little resources, and you've got to be realistic about this, to pursue goals that lie outside of the whirlwind. So you've got to limit the focus so you don't dissipate all your resources and end up you know, chasing everything and catching nothing. Right. So to put a bow on things here for a speaker who, again, is at, at whether they're getting started or they're, they're deep in the weeds on building and growing their speaking business, and they feel the overwhelm, they feel stressed, they feel like I'm making progress, but at the same time, it feels like it's two steps forward, one step back. And I'm, the idea of just being free to focus sounds amazing. So what, what are the next action items that we need to, we need to take? Yeah, I, w- I would start where I begin in the very first chapter, and that is Stop. You know, and, and you would think in a productivity book that it would all be about going, you know, getting in the game, taking action, all that. But I think we've got to stop and get clear on where all this goes. What's our productivity vision? What is our vision for the future? What is it? What's a future state that's better and bigger than we have right now that we want? I always start with the end in mind. I learned that from Dr. Stephen Covey. So I talk in that chapter about four freedoms. And these are the four freedoms that I wanted that being on the road all the time didn't afford me. I wanted the freedom to focus so that when I'm trying to create content, I'm doing my best work, I'm not distracted, I'm not interrupted, but that I'm, I'm focused on getting that deep work, deep thinking done. Second, I want the freedom to be fully present so that when I'm at work, I'm not worried or thinking about my family, and when I'm with my family, I'm not thinking about work. I want the kind of productivity that leads to that. I also want the kind of productivity that leads to spontaneity. So that I have the opportunity, if one of my grandkids drops by or a friend calls and says, hey, can we have coffee? I'm free. What about you? I could drop what I'm doing, go have coffee, and nothing suffers in my business. And then finally, the freedom to do nothing at all. And you've probably experienced this, Grant, where sometimes your biggest breakthrough ideas, your most creativity comes when you're really not doing anything. You know, you're just taking it easy. You're relaxing. You're at the beach. You're taking a shower. Maybe you're on a commute. But I want the freedom for those kinds of things. and we can't be sucked into the drift of our current culture that basically says the secret to success is to do more. And I talk about in the book, The Law of 55, which says that once you've worked past about 55 hours, your productivity actually begins to regress and you start losing productivity. So we got to be clear about what we're after. Awesome. Well, and Michael, I know that we've just scratched the surface here of what you cover in Free to Focus, which is uh, out now. Definitely would encourage people to, uh, to go check out. If people want to find out more about you, check out the book uh, as well as your business accelerator. Where, where can we go? Yeah. So go to freetofocusbook.com, freetofocusbook.com. We've got some amazing bonuses for you free. You can buy the book from anywhere you want. Amazon's usually the most likely place. Turn in your receipt there and we'll give you the bonuses. Business Accelerator, which is my exclusive coaching program. You can find out more about that at businessaccelerator.com. And for everything else, michaelhyatt.com. 
Awesome. Well, Michael, thank you so much for taking the time. We really appreciate it. Uh, I know I've said this to you before, but I have a great admiration to you for you for uh, who you are as an entrepreneur, but more importantly, who you are as a, as a husband and as a father, as a dad of three daughters myself. Uh, I don't know how you have two more than that, but I really appreciate all that you do to, uh, to lead the way for, uh, for the rest of us. So thanks for your help, man. We appreciate it. Thank you, Grant. Great to be with you. All right, there you go, my friends. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Michael Hyatt. Again, I'd encourage you to check out his work over at michaelhyatt.com. Be sure to check out the Business Accelerator program as well as their free to focus book. Phenomenal book, definitely recommend it. Make sure you go check it out. Hey, so again, if you are interested in working with us and helping you grow your speaking business, then we'd love to have a conversation with you. All you got to do is go over to thespeakerlab.com slash apply. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash apply. There you can schedule a call to talk one-on-one with our team about what you're looking for, what your speaking goals are, and how we can help you get there. All right, my friends, again, check that out over at thespeakerlab.com slash apply. All right, that wraps up to today's episode, episode 246. We'll catch you next time. You're awesome. You're awesome.